You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Barrett Keesian opened the Community Center at Portland Community Squash in January of 2017, and he currently serves as President and Executive Director. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So you and I both went to Bowdoin College, I notice. Go That's you. news to me. That's yeah. great. Go you Bears. Go you Bears, indeed. But before that, you grew up in Southwest Harbor. Yeah. For the first 10 years of my life, I grew up on the Hinkley Boatyard, right at the bottom of... Uh, the harbor in Southwest Harbor, Maine. So what was that like growing up at the Hinkley Boatyard? Well, uh, despite having sailing all around me, I was uh, a high-energy kid, so my preferred activity in that small town was throwing a ball against the barn. Uh, and when the winter came, I moved up to the attic and thought I was Nomar Garcia Parra throwing the ball across at the window at the other side of the attic. So uh, I was an active kid. It was me and my little sister and we actually had a pond in the backyard too so we uh, my grandfather used to stock it with trout and I did a little fly fishing as a kid too so um, found a way to stay active in a little bit of a sleepy town but now I really appreciate the true beauty up there every chance I get to go back. It's an impressive boatyard. I've actually been there so I, I, I think about like how, um, how much has been put into that town just by virtue of having that business there. Yeah, it, that business has really shaped a lot of the values in my life. My my grandfather ran the Hinkley Company when I was a, a, a kid, and I ended up moving away when my mother remarried uh, for my middle school and high school years down in Boston. But I just remember uh, the Hinkley Company, it grew really fast uh, after my grandfather had sold the company. And once that small brand got leveraged to be a big company, it um, it went through some tough times, and and uh, the company's in great shape now because I think they've gotten back to their smaller roots. But what a beautiful thing when an, all the boats were built there in Southwest Harbor, and everyone in that community was contributing to that one brand. Um, and then when it grew, outgrew that small town feel, I think you know the company had a little bit of a different identity. But um, now that I run my own business. I think about the beauty of simplicity and not necessarily overgrowing too fast, but enjoying the community that you've built and the people that it's sustaining. You were an economics major at Bowdoin. Yeah, I, I, I uh, hung on. <laughs> I studied, I, I went into Bowdoin, I thought I had a game plan. I transferred in halfway through my sophomore year and I studied economics and environmental science. 
and I love the idea of the futuristic nature of green energy and and the, and thinking about um, how cool it would be to have these electric cars on the streets and and these farms that were off the grid powered by solar so I had a vision that drove me in college and then when it was time to look for a job um, I realized that there were actually that it might, it might have sounded great in my head, but it wasn't necessarily where my passion my passion was. And I ended up taking a job for an insurance company here, Unum in Portland, which was a great training program. Taught me how to, you know, be a professional. And then from there, I got to explore a few more of my interests. And it it um, turned out that building community was what was most important to me. And that's what I really took from Bowdoin was. The fact that no matter where I was on the campus, I was I was with people that supported me, and I wanted to bring that type of a community wherever I went. And in this, in um, the case of my early twenties, that was Portland, Maine. When you talk about um, throwing a ball against a wall, that's basically my. That's my child. He was uh, growing up, and I think he thought he was no more also. He's mm-hmm. a little younger than you, but um, but it really was important to him. He always was like a constant motion kind of kid. Sure. And at the same time, he also, um, I think, really relished being a part of a team. He played baseball. Mm-hmm. Does that, um, do those things all kind of come together in the job that you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. When I think about what I, what, I and the rest of the team at Portland Community Squash can offer our kids things we talk about are helping kids find a passion and a community that supports them. And when I was a kid in a small, somewhat isolating setting in Southwest Harbor, the Red Sox were that community for me. So I had a little AM radio in my bedroom and I used to swing at every pitch and and I still have... I just still have great memories all the way into my teenage years listening to the Red Sox on that radio, whether I was cooking dinner with my dad or whatnot. So I still have that radio today. So that was my little community as a kid. Um, And the community that I offer students now is one that revolves around a sport I found in Boston, squash. Well, talk to me about squash. You know, I grew up in in the 80s, it was racquetball, which Mm -hmm. I think is somewhat different. But why squash? Yeah, well, racquetball was really an American phenomenon. We have 30,000 racquetball courts in the United States and 3,000 squash courts. But if you look internationally, squash is played in 185 countries. It goes back to the early 1800s. It came out of the UK. And racquetball is a great game uh, for the recreationalist because you can just get out there. The ball's bouncing everywhere. It's pure athleticism, not, not as much technique. Um, the nature of squash, it's it's actually a dead ball, or we call it a dead ball, meaning it doesn't have that same lively bounce. If you were to drop a squash ball on the floor, it would barely come off the ground. So how that translates onto a court is that you have total control of where you hit the ball. So if you decide to hit a short shot in the front of the court, you move your opponent to the front, that opens up the back, then you can send it to the back of the court. So it's there's a lot more technique to learn how to control the ball, but it's a game that you can never stop learning about because you're constantly battling to get your opponent out of position and then applying pressure. So there's a lot of a lot of strategy and a lot of cardio too because you're lunging into every corner of the court for 45 minutes. So it's um, 
it has a lot more traction at the collegiate level. Uh, at the professional level, there's a really robust tour with players from all over the world. And now it's uh, the f two fastest growing countries in the world are China and the United States for squash right now. So it's a good sport to be part of. Um, and you learned about this in Boston. Yeah, my when my father moved to Boston, he someone recommended he try squash out as a way to meet people in the city. And I used to hop on a court in the basement and just hit around until uh, my dad was done with his matches. But I remember the club pro telling me to to hold a pencil out and see if I could get the pencil to go in the strings of the racket to see if I had the hand-eye coordination. And my dad turned to the pro and said, I don't think you know my son. <laughs> so he just gave me a ball and I'd go down there and solo for an hour straight when I was you know, six, seven years old. And, uh, you know, ended up playing in tournaments and getting recruited to high schools to play, believe it or not. And eventually it was my path to Bowdoin as well. So you went from being Nomar to being like the squash guy. Yeah. Sure, Peter Nickel. He was my squash idol. <laughs> Peter Nickel. Yeah. Why do you think that in the United States and in China, squash is growing in popularity? Well, unfortunately, I think a lot of it is is fueled by this desire to be recruited to colleges. And the New York Times about 10 years ago wrote an article about how squash was the secret pathway into the Ivy League universities. And to be honest, it was. Squash in the United States was only played in prep schools and elite universities. So we, in this country still, we actually have more collegiate squash positions than we do high school squash positions. So think about a sport like basketball where you have 100 high school players for every one collegiate player. Squash is on, upside down on its head. So you might have one high school squash player for every two college squash players. So a lot of the collegiate teams are actually filled by recruiting international students to come in and play for these programs. And now we have 70 collegiate programs um, and uh, just a great college sport to be part of. So anytime that there's a clear next step after high school participation, kids are going to get put into the sport. But the problem with the sport has always been accessibility. So the program that we created here in Portland is, is known as the most accessible squash facility in the country. We, uh, we have an extremely affordable membership for anyone in the community to come enjoy the sport. Uh, squash is a sport at every Portland public school now, elementary, middle, and high school. And we even have uh, programs that work with students year-round for 10 years to make sure that um, if squash is a passion of yours, it, it's something that can take you all around the world and to a great college one day. So we don't shy away from the fact that it's a good tool, but for us, it's it's a lot more than you know throwing a lot of money towards the kids so that they can get into a school. For us, it's the 17 feet between the courts we feel is a really powerful community at Portland Community Squash. And so we use it as a hook and a common ground to bring together every demographic in Portland. And it's, it didn't have to be squash. It could have been theater. It could have been ice skating. It could have been anything. But squash just happens to be a really powerful tool for doing the work that we're doing. And a lot of cities across the country have taken notice and are trying to replicate what we've created here in Portland. How long has squash been um, part of the Portland community? 
It really started taking off when a volunteer, Greg Bourne, just decided to bring some structure to a small league at the YMCA. And when I moved to Portland, I found a pretty robust group of adult players that were playing on converted racquetball courts at the Y. And it was everything great about squash. Uh, although there was the opportunity to grow that community and to, to make it more diverse and, and to uh, use it as a tool to uplift youth in our city as well. So I got involved to bring that youth element, that diversity element and the energy uh, to Greg's organizational skills. And from 2013, when I first became involved until now, uh, we've become, you know, multi-million dollar nonprofit with a building and serving hundreds of kids in the Portland school system and hundreds of families that are enjoying the community as well. Is this something that requires one to have a specific um, level of knowledge before going in? Do you have to have any skills at all? Right, absolutely not. So one of, one of the first things we did was to put some beginner clinics in place just to make anyone feel welcome so that if we ran into anyone on the street, we could say, hey, we have a Tuesday night women's clinic at 6.30 p.m. It's totally free. We have all the equipment. We have a great coach, Mary Lou Fortson, that's there to instruct. And then on Thursdays, we have the men's clinic. So we encourage anybody <laughs> to come by on at 6.30 on a Thursday night. We have all the equipment there. We run a great clinic, get introduced to it. And then we have a bunch of leagues and whatnot for every level so that if you want to become involved, we facilitate all those introductions for you. Now, anytime someone comes into our facility, you know, our membership's really attractive, but we're quick to tell them this is our real mission um, about uplifting first-generation college seekers and, and any student in Portland that wants to be part of this program. So we encourage all of our members to volunteer, and our members volunteer a couple hundred hours a week, not each, but collectively, as mentors, tutors, coaches, cleaning the facility, you name it. So um, it's that community vibe that we're trying to make clear every time we have someone new into our space. How many people do you have currently involved in this? Well, our committees alone are probably 75 to 80 people spanning from development to real estate to junior program committees to events. We have great parties and outreach as well. So we have a huge network of dedicated volunteers running the organization. Then from a membership perspective, we have 200 memberships, but 100 of those are families. So probably are serving about 400 individuals um, that are using the space as their own. And then we serve about 120 students a week in our facility across our elementary school, middle school, high school programs. And as we start sending students to college as well, we're supporting our students that are in college as well. So on any given year, we're, we're working with about 200 youth as well. How many students have you successfully gotten into a college at this point? Well, our one of our first students was Devin Case, who just graduated from Casco Bay High School. And he was with us at, at the YMCA, and so he's the oldest student in our program. So he is a, a freshman at SMCC right now. He works almost full-time on our staff as well, coaching the younger students and running the facility. And then he's interested in doing a wildlife biology major at either Western Ontario University or UMaine or now. 
he'll get into either one, I'm sure. He's an extremely hardworking kid. So he's the first one to have gone all the way through. But the the real goal I'm working towards is in five years we want to be the number one youth development program in the state of Maine. And it's really going to take that long to start working students through our full curriculum, uh, which is an hour of squash, an hour of fitness, and an hour of academic support every day after school. So back then when Devin was with us, I, I used to tell the kids, listen, we used to be an entirely volunteer-run organization, run out of those dark courts at the YMCA. So I told the kids, you know, the level of programming is a 2 out of 10 right now, but you're part of this because we're trying to build a 10 out of 10 program. So I would say we're about a, we're about six months away from a 10 out of 10. We're probably eight out of a 10 right now working out the choreography of how students flow through practice, why they think they're there, the ownership they feel over the program, all these intangibles that need to be in place to build this culture of excellence. And then once we're at a 10 out of 10, it's five years of being in a 10 out of 10 program that you start thinking, okay, you know, Harvard or one of these elite universities is a place that I could excel. And so when you walk into our facility, we have college banners hanging over every inch of the space. And from fourth grade all the way through, you're thinking big, you're thinking about goals, and um, you're trying to find those two things, passion and community, because we think those are the two things that'll carry you all the way through. In your mind, what does a 10 out of 10 program look like? Uh, Well, first of all, a 10 out of 10 program, a staff is just there to help and guide. The students really run it. So I have organizations that I look up to, one in particular is Squash Busters in Boston. And when a new student goes into that program, they're greeted with a handshake by an older student the second they walk into the door. They, they look to the older students to see what's going on, and the students are what's driving the culture. It's not the staff. So for us, we're putting these programs in place and these expectations. We talk about respect, effort, and positivity, and we track those things in every stage of practice. Kids are flowing through an hour of hard work on court. They're doing an hour of fitness or yoga, and then they're flowing into our classrooms for academic support after practice as well. And right now, it's the coaches that are reminding students why we're doing this, what our values are, why hard work is so important. But you only have to be, you only have to be that broken record for a couple years until your students are the ones that start telling that message. And that's when you know you really made it because the students have a much stronger voice than their coaching staff when it comes to influencing peer behavior. You said that you're a multi-million dollar nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Why are people so interested in supporting a nonprofit that centers around squash? Well, when when I say a multi-million dollar nonprofit, I'm not talking about our annual fund because that there's we Portland doesn't need a lot of multi-million dollar annual funds. We have we, you know we're all we're all doing our best to to meet our annual fund goals. I'm I'm talking about. Um, our balance sheet and and the initial rounds of capital we were able to raise to put a a sustainable program in place for what we hope will be the next hundred years. So when I was in the community meeting with people about why you want to support Portland Community Squash, I talked a little bit about that culture. We're going to create a culture that's going to perpetuate excellence and results from students that might not otherwise have after-school activities. So 
the the return on investment in terms of shaping youth in the city was there and we had proven models and we had a proven track record of working with youth here in Portland at the Y. So we we promised that, but we also promised a really sustainably operated nonprofit. And one of the one of the talking points I used when meeting with our first supporters was this is crazy, but we just met <laughs> and I'm already talking about a capital gift because we were crazy. We started with a capital campaign. Not many organizations would do that, but we were really confident in, in what we in our plan. So I said, I'm asking for a capital gift, but what you're building is a really sustainable community because our membership creates a lot of recurring revenue. So half of our annual budget is through earned revenue. And that just takes a huge load off of the organization and the time of our staff. So as an executive director, most of my peers that are other executive directors are spending their whole day out in the community fundraising, but I really don't have to do that anymore. I'm in my sweats right now because I'm on court every day with our students. I'm helping run yoga and fitness, I'm in the classroom. And to be an executive director and to be able to be part of that frontline programming staff is is really unique. But that's just um, to show the point that by thinking a little bit more creatively about how we can have mixed uses in our space, it's really freed us up to be this really efficient organization that spends all of our time working on our youth um, and not so much having to worry about covering our administrative and, and facility expenses. So it sounds like you've really been able to tap in uh, uh to a variety of different interests that you hold. You've, you're doing some coaching, some teaching, some fundraising, some business work, mm-hmm. some, di- some directorial duties, many, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. So when you were going through high school and college, did you have a sense that you would have so many different interests that you'd be able to um, tap into? No. I, I've always been a really passionate person and gotten really excited about working on projects and working in teams. When I was working on those economics problem sets, I promise you I didn't have most of the answers. In fact, I had very little, but I was the person in my in the team that knew where the different skills lied around me and was able to smile and let a group have a group take me in and work on a problem set and keep morale high <laughs> and learn as I was going to. So when it, when I translated that into working on a project, it, it was really about the strengths of the people around me. So I said, hey, I'm going to bring the smile, I'm going to bring the work ethic, but I don't know anything about real estate taxes or zoning or um, fiduciary responsibilities. So the just the community really rallied behind the project and we were able to put an amazing team in place and yeah I guess I was that conductor uh, that was um, just saying thank you a lot and and making the request that had to be made and following up and keeping everybody on on task together. You recently um, bought a condo here in Portland and you said Mm -hmm. that it's important to not only have this place that you're going to move into, but also um, it's important to have a place where you can practice your faith. 
Oh, yeah. Um, well, that that's funny that you interpret it that way. It's actually very true. But um, so the synagogue um, I was referring to is the Sharifila Synagogue, which is the new home of Portland Community Squash. Oh, I where see. Where I practice my faith is the back cathedral at St. Luke's Church on State Street. Okay. So my faith doesn't exactly align with this, the, the history of the building, but it's the same God. I suppose Jesus is a, is a little bit of a different conversation <laughs> when looking at Judaism and Christianity. But yeah, these... My faith, too, is also in, in community as well. So that synagogue uh, at 66 Noise Street has been a place for celebration and mourning and faith for more than 50 years, since 1955. And uh, the same is true for every church, synagogue, and mosque, and other communal faith space in Portland. And it's really sad. I, I saw on Instagram that another synagogue was um, had a deconsecration ceremony coming up. And those places used to be where community collected. And we have fewer and fewer of those spaces now. And um, so we're just really thankful that at Portland Community Squash we could preserve that space as a place that would be a place of celebration and support and community um, and for me um, yeah to me that's that's just as influential as making it to a Sunday service once in a while at St. Luke's so you are actually you're you're actively practicing what you believe in yeah yeah in every aspect of my life right now I feel very fortunate what would you like to see happen with Portland Community Squash in the next 10 years I I can see the ener- the potential energy in the space as as we have these amazing stories of of students that have taken themselves you know all the way through adolescence and my mentors my high school squash coach we just celebrated his 100th birthday party and uh, so 72 years of working with youth and um you couldn't imagine a better end of life you know you have he had James Taylor sing a song for him because he used to teach James Taylor when he was a kid and uh, Deval Patrick was there you know the governor of Massachusetts so um, it's not that it's not that it's the remarkable students necessarily that that make it special but just the outpour and the amount of people um, that that you uh, can support through your lifetime so I'm just so excited to watch, to try to create this culture that's so positive in students' lives, to see them come through. And then the nice thing about having an adult membership, too, is that hopefully they'll come back to Portland, make their own stamp on Portland, and be members of Portland Community Squash, and be able to see the next generations of kids come through as well. So it's really a lifelong offering that we're offering to our community, and I'm just excited um, to be in a position where I can watch generations of people come through that program. I've been speaking with Barrett Takesian, who opened the Community Center at Portland Community Squash in January of 2017. He currently serves as the President and Executive Director. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. 
Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.